as people continue to file in from the back, uh, let's, uh, I'd like to get us started. Um, just because this is uh, a congregational meeting, according to bylaws, we should do yeah, just a couple things quickly. For, uh, I think we do have quorum. We need 26 voting members, and I'm pretty sure I count 26. Um, and then we also need, as, as is our custom, to uh, appoint a clerk. I would like to entertain a motion to have Matt as our clerk again. Uh, moved and seconded. I heard uh, any objections or discussion? All right, so moved. Yeah, any discussion about Matt? Yeah, let's just evaluate him for a moment. Um, uh, all right. Uh, well, how about I uh, open our time in prayer? Father, uh, it is um, in some ways just another mile marker um, reminding us of your faithfulness that, that once again we come together as we do every year to reflect on, on how you have been at work and what you are doing and how you continue to be at work in this church. And um, Lord, we just, we, we want from the outset uh, to remember in your presence that anything good that has taken place, and there is so much to be thankful for, everything good has come from you. And Lord, anything good that we will do in the future will only be as we follow you, empowered by you. And so I do pray for even this meeting that what is of you would be what sticks and what, what maybe is uh, wrongheaded, wherever that is, that you would correct us because we want to be those who follow Jesus, whatever that means. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, as I understand kind of the, one of the goals of this is just to kind of make sure we are all kind of on the same page, understanding what's going on. And I think this time, maybe more than, than a number of the meetings in the past, I feel like it's especially important because I don't know if you felt this way, but I feel like a lot of things have been in motion and changing over the last couple of years, um, largely good, but also a little bit dizzying. Um, and so my kind of intent is to just kind of go over a little bit about um, both what we see as central and how we see, as in terms of leadership, the, the, the process that we're a part of and where we're hoping to go. And then everything I do is, of course, just kind of the lead up to the highlight, and that's the budget update for Tom. That's the thing that I know you guys are here for. Um, and then after that, with whatever time we have, we'll try to answer any questions that you might have. So um, uh, I printed out, because uh, we don't have any access to these screens, if you're wondering why we didn't power, do PowerPoint. But I've read stuff that PowerPoint's not good anyway, so that's good. Um, I, I wanted to just kind of start with uh, what we see as our end goal. And so the first, that first half of it is just kind of to give you kind of a really big picture of what we really see as our mission. Um, I mean, in some ways, the simplest way of putting it is we understand that our calling as a congregation is to share Christ. We talk about, you know, experiencing and extending the life-changing love of Christ. Or you think about Matthew 28, where Jesus says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. And the conviction that drives us, the conviction that brings us together is the belief that our greatest hope and treasure is in Christ. And the world's greatest need is found in Christ. And as long as we're here until Christ returns or until we're brought to meet him, um, our mission is to enable others to be able to come to experience the, the love, the hope that we have in Christ. So, so that, that is what motivates us. That's what drives us. That's our mission. Um, so, but, 
the, the thing that I think, um, especially in the last couple of decades, people have been trying to think through, not just our church, but kind of nationwide, even beyond that, is what if people aren't interested? Here's what I mean by that. Um, we go, say, back 60 years, and the church was generally seen as kind of a central institution where even if you didn't go to church, you respected it, and you would listen if it had to, something to say. Uh, there is a general belief that the Bible is good and probably true, that Jesus is someone who should at least be an important role model and probably is God. And, and so the mission of the church was trying to help people make the final connection point where they could already have an audience because there was already some credibility, but they realized these people don't yet understand that the gospel means that they're forgiven through Christ. So Billy Graham, if you think about it, thousands of people would come to hear Billy Graham it's hard for me to imagine that same kind of phenomenon today because there was already a certain credibility, a certain kind of semi-Christianity to the culture. And what meant, that meant was evangelism. We didn't have to ask the question of how can we get people to even pay attention. People were willing to listen. It's just how could we speak? We're in a different time right now. And I think we all feel that. Sometimes it's being spoken of as a post-Christian culture where there's kind of a sense of why would I listen to the church? Why would I go to church? That's not true of everyone. But it's increasingly true. I mean, one of the statistics that, that is out there is this, uh, sometimes you might see in the news, the rise of the nuns, not N-U-N, we don't have more people in habits, but N-O-N-E, that as people who identify themselves as none of the above when it comes to identifying with religion. So you can see what I have, you know, like um, those who identify themselves as Christians in the last decade, so we're talking about just 10 years, 2009. I was here 10 years ago, so we're not talking about a huge amount of time. In just 10 years, we've gone from 77% to 65% of those who identify themselves as Christians. That's actually an enormous shift in a short period of time. And those who identify themselves as no affiliation from 17% to 26%. Those statistics are just statistics, but they, what they do is point beyond to a culture shift and the question of, if we believe that the world's greatest need, our neighbor's greatest need, is to know Christ, what do we do if they don't want to listen? Um, there's, you know, like it used to be evangelism explosion. As you maybe grew up doing evangelism explosion, you had the two diagnostic questions. You know, what, if you were to die tonight, what would happen to you? And why would God let you in heaven? And, and basically, if you could get those people to understand that, that was the key piece. There's so much more now in terms of what people don't believe or don't understand. So, so that question, um, there, uh, one of the people that I spent a lot of time reading over my sabbatical was a man by the name of Leslie Newbegin. He was a missionary in India and then a pastor in England. Um, and he spent a lot of time thinking about, hey, what happens as we're moving into a post-Christian society? In some ways, England is kind of the situation we're talking about, except it was happening even earlier. And, and he said, well, there's a couple answers that we clearly can't do. On one hand, it's not just about shelling, sh shouting loudly enough, right? It's not about, hey, we just need to stand on a street corner and make people hear us, force people to hear the message. Uh, that is not attractive. I mean, if you think about if you were with us in Sunday school last week, I have Isaiah 42, he will not make his voice be heard. He will not yell out in the streets. It's actually contrary to the way Christ is. So we can't just force people to listen. That's not in our interest. That's not godly. On the other hand, he says, it's not that we should just kind of find what they are wanting and try to meet those needs. 
Um, that, that basically just reinforces a form of consumerism. Basically, you know, if we were to try to say, hey, you know, try our church, we're not that weird, is not exactly the way to kind of get people in. But you've seen that. There's been kind of an increasing, let's, let's have the Starbucks, let's make it feel more like uh, the Tonight Show, let's try to make it so that it's what people already are looking for. Well, that doesn't work either because all you're doing is continuing to reinforce the same, it's about me rather than about Christ. So, so how can we help people hear Christ if that's our mission? So here's what Newbigin says, and I, I think his answer is profound. He says, how is it possible that the gospel should be credible, that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross? I am suggesting that the only answer the only hermeneutic of the gospel, hermeneutic means kind of a translation, explanation of the gospel, is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. He's saying if you want people to actually listen to you, they have to see a congregation who believes this and can see that they believe it in the way they live. Um, he points out that in, in Acts, and I checked and he's right, that in Acts, almost every single time you see Peter or Paul or anyone sharing the gospel, it's always after someone asks a question. They don't just kind of force their way in, like, on whose authority are you doing this? Or what does this mean, the Ethiopian eunuch says to Philip? And almost every time, that question is prompted by a sign. The paralytic is healed or, or something else dramatic happens and they see something and they go, I don't get it. I'm going to ask a question, and then as the question is asked, then they're ready to hear, and the gospel is proclaimed. And he suggests we should recognize that something similar is the way that we should be seeking to share the gospel. That is, that there should be a sign in the way that we are as a congregation, as a community, that makes people go, huh. I mean, think about 1 Peter. 1 Peter says, always be ready to give an answer when people ask for the hope that you have. The implication is they're going to ask because they see something, right? And, and so I think this is a really important thing because sometimes churches get lost in thinking that it's all about mission. It doesn't matter if we have any integrity or if there's any godliness as long as we're able to get people to hear Jesus. That's not right. And there are other churches that say, we just need to be the church, and we need to be faithful, and we need to be godly, and we need to understand orthodoxy, but we don't need to worry about the world around us. That's not right. But what you actually have, and this I think is exactly what Jesus says when he talks about where the salt and the light, is we should seek to love the world by being different, by being godly in a way that the world sees Christ, and so that opens up the possibility for us to share the gospel with them. So sometimes you might have heard me um, speak in the terms of being a beautiful church. I think Isaiah points us to that in chapter 2 and then later on in chapter 62. Um, and I think we can see the importance of that, both in terms of a positive and a negative. So I have a friend who experienced a terrible abuse of power in a church when she was a teenager that made her leave the church for a while and now has at best a tenuous relationship with the church because of seeing something ugly within the church. And probably some of us know people with stories like that, that in some ways the church, when it is not being faithful, is the church's worst enemy. On the other hand, I can think of a time where I saw a believer's baptism many years ago um, in a church where it was because their kid got in an accident 
and they were in the hospital, and the entire youth group were there like day and night, and the youth pastor visiting, and this kid was loved, and the mom said, I don't get this. I've never seen anything like this, and it caused her to want to know, and she became a Christian. You see that, like, whether we say negatively in terms of us not living up to it or positively in terms of being faithful, that changes the way people hear the gospel. And so that's why we've been speaking of our calling is to be a church that shows the beauty of God to the world around us, not just because we want to look good, but because we believe this is how people will be willing to listen. This is how people will, will receive, will be open to hearing the gospel of Christ Jesus. And, and, you know, if you ask, what do I mean by that? As, as we as a church are pursuing that kind of living sign to the world around us, there's something miraculous so that people actually say, what's going on? You know, whenever I, people ask me what that means is I always identify kind of three things. There is the aspect of us being shaped by the gospel. We are not going to be able to be Christ-like if we don't trust in Christ, if we don't understand the grace of Christ, if we're not constantly being formed by Christ. And so that is one thing. I, you know, one of our prayers is that we as a church are so immersed in who Christ Jesus is that our very intuitions are shaped by the gospel. That is one thing that I think is absolutely crucial to us being beautiful. A second one is the way we love each other. I mean, there are countless examples in the New Testament where it seems like the natural implication of the gospel is this is how you should be towards each other. I mean, Jesus even prays in John 17, may they be one so the world might know that you sent me. How we love each other, not just how we're nice to each other, but how we actually really care for each other at times in complicated or difficult ways where we work on resolving conflict, where we welcome people to the... That, that is another way that is distinctive that we hope people go, something's going on. And, and the third piece that I've spoken of um, is that there's also this outward facing where we, because Christ was sent into the world and God so loved the world that he gave, so also for us to actually show the glory of God, we have to have that outward face where we're seeking to give ourselves in love and mercy to the world around us. That's, in some ways, that's hopefully year after year when you hear what we're aiming for as a congregation, when you think about things like discipleship groups, when you think about things like what how we're welcoming others and, and community groups, we're organizing ourselves with these as our primary focuses. Um, I, I'm going to take a brief break because I, one of the ways that we're trying to do this is through the diaconal team. And one of the things about the diaconal team is they are intentionally kind of low profile. They don't try to kind of be up in front in the same way that sometimes teachers can. So we want to make sure that we're also kind of allowing people who might not know what the diaconal team is to know a little bit more. So I'd like to invite Eric to come up for just a couple minutes to share kind of what's going on with the diaconal team. Thanks, Jeff. Um, so I understand some of you may not be even fully aware who consists of the diaconal team. And in case you want to find that out, it's on the back of the newsletter we get every Sunday, as well as, uh, you know, you can probably usually find it in the church website if you pull up the newsletter. But Jeff's right, we do tend to take a kind of low profile, and that is intentional. But a lot of that is because we have a very generous congregation here. And it makes a lot of us very proud to be able to be in a position to watch as a group bless other people through the generosity. Some of that's financial generosity, sometimes that's time, and it's very special. And so having a team as we've grown over the past 18 months, now almost two years, um, it's really allowed a lot more opportunities for us 
One of those is we've tried to really put together how can we serve throughout, whether it's in the city, whether it's in our own neighborhoods. And while maybe as a diaconate, we're not the ones doing all the serving, um, that might come through community groups, trying to use the resources that we have to figure out, okay, what can we do? That's one big piece. But with being a generous congregation, I, I wanna give you a bit of an idea of what we tend to do from the diaconate level. One, um, whether it's people needing house-related projects or assistance, whether it's just moving things, you know, we'll, we'll lend a helping hand in those ways, and that can be generally pretty easy. But financially, um, when people are maybe struggling, we provide an opportunity. Um, we've had people needing assistance with car repairs or even purchasing an automobile. Um, uh, people that are in the midst of a job transition and trying to help them out. And so to be able to walk alongside and help people, uh, that can only happen, one, with having people that are willing to do so, but also the financial resources. And so it's kind of wild because we watch a bunch of expenses sometimes go down, and then the pendulum swings right back very quickly, and that is because of the congregation. Um, the other thing, which this happened this year, and I don't know if everybody recalls, uh, we, this wasn't the Benevolence Fund, but we did a special offering that we organized for Living Hope Church down in uh, the Woodlawn neighborhood. And for those of you that don't know, Living Hope is in the south side of Chicago. Very disenfranchised kids are, live there in tough situations. And they have for years been doing a summer program. And literally the summer program takes kids and gets them off the streets and puts them in an environment where they're hearing about the gospel. This church sponsored over 14 kids being able to not spend a dime and go be participating at this summer. That's pretty awesome. Almost $6,000 came just through one opportunity that the church could help assist. And so thank you for allowing us to do that. Um, and I know that Brad, Brad very much appreciated that as a, the pad pastor of the church. So. The other thing is, I mentioned all this, but we also want to know about needs. So we're trying to, even though we're a low profile, each newsletter that you're going to get each week, there's a little blurb. There's an email address if you, you're welcome to come and talk with a deacon one-on-one -on -one or as a group. You also can just email if there's a need that you want to share. And uh, we try to keep that as private as possible. So please um, let us know how we can help as a church. And, uh, you know, thank you again for just the generosity that you continue to show as a congregation. So let me say, like, even as I talk about kind of what we're striving for, I mean, uh, I'll say this because I don't think I can take much credit for it. I, I feel like there's many ways in what we just described in terms of uh, gospel-shaped and loving and, and loving the world around us that I've just seen in abundance. Uh, it is a privilege to be part of this congregation, and I feel like God has just blessed again and again, not just with finances, although we'll get to that. That has been also a way we've seen God bless us, but just with the people in this congregation, the willingness, the unity, it's, it's a joy to serve here. Um, so I want to now move kind of to talk about in some ways, I gave more of the bigger picture. I want to talk about kind of what we've been doing the last few years because um, we, and I said this a couple, few, about three years ago, we had a meeting where I talked about we are, have been kind of in a time of adolescence. 
Um, it makes sense. Our church started in 2004, which makes us, what, about 16 years old. So we're, yeah, we're, we're in our awkward teenage years. Um, and, and the reason I, I bring that up is because we are, um, and I mentioned this a couple years ago, kind of in this time of a growth barrier. People sometimes will talk about the, the 200 barrier. Um, let, let me explain what I mean by that. There are something like certain phases where a church can just kind of grow naturally and they don't really have to change much because they can have the capacity to be able to kind of welcome newcomers in without having to do anything differently. But there are certain phases in kind of the church growth, and you'll see this, I've seen, a, there's a good article by Tim Keller that argues, it talks about this, and you can see it in multiple places, where you can't just do things the way you've done things before, because if you do, you'll keep on coming up against some barriers. So when you have a church that's, say, around 120, which is kind of where we were a few years ago, you have it where basically people can kind of learn what's going on by word of mouth, where there can be kind of more of a natural and, and welcoming, can just kind of happen spontaneously, where there can be an organic way of doing things. By the time you get to, say, double that, 240, it really can't have been that way because people will come in and people will say, hey, I don't know everyone here. There can be, hey, I don't know what's going on anymore because I'm not part of the loop. There's a lot of feeling of, of frustration because of a lack of communication, of confusion, newcomers not necessarily knowing how to plug in. And what happens is you need to have a different way of, of structuring church to make sure that everyone can still feel on the same page and connected and caring for each other well. If you don't do this, the very three things that I mentioned are going to get hindered. Um, if we're not thoughtful about this transition, there are some people who will fall through the cracks and that we won't be able to invest in helping to grow. Um, if we're not thoughtful about how to make this transition, then it's hard sometimes to be loving because there will be people who feel like they're on the outside, people who won't feel like they're connected, people, that, that can go very poorly as well. And it will also hinder outreach because we have a hard time welcoming newcomers because we're already kind of at max capacity. Because what happens is unless you make those changes, the church will keep on seeing people come and then other people leave because they just don't have the structures to handle some of the new way of doing things. So that's why, if you might remember, a few years ago I talked about Project 20, and I still feel proud of the fact that I did not make any dumb puns about Vision 2020 or anything like that. It was just talking about kind of like a three-year goal, uh, three and a half actually, of, of seeking to help us transition through this growth barrier. You might remember I kind of talked about it in a couple of ways. One way I talked about was just as a milestone saying, hey, to be at around 220 by the end of 2020. And, and the reason I did that was not because I'm that interested in numbers per se, but because that's a good marker of how are we doing? Are we able to actually continue to be welcoming people in? So right now, if you're wondering, we're probably in about the 160s. I'll be surprised if we have 220 as our average attendance by the end of this year, although we have seen that happen occasionally. Um, so there's always ways that we can continue to grow, and, and I'm okay with that because this was more meant as a marker of something that's more important. And the more important thing is, are we a church that's able to make that transition so that we can now accommodate and welcome people in a way where we kind of, you know, work through this awkward adolescence and get maybe more to confident adulthood? Um, and so that, and I, and I would say, I feel like by God's grace, we have seen these things happening. Um, so uh, just to kind of let you know, if you, you know, tell the story of Trinity over the last few years, if you're wondering, how, does this all fit together? Let me tell you how we've kind of been at, you know, seeing this as leaders. Uh, when I first announced this in 2017, um, kind of what our focus was for the first year was, was culture shift. Um, 
So part of this was making sure that we started to understand, hey, here's where we're at. Here's going to be some of the challenges. You're going to start sometimes feeling like, hey, I don't know everyone, and that's not a sign of something bad. That's actually part of what we should expect, and we should actually seek to continue to welcome people in. Have that culture shift. How do we manage this difference? Um, become more intentional about welcoming and integrating newcomers. You might remember it was right around that time that Shelley did a fantastic job of starting to kind of organize our greeter team, thinking how can we be really good at seeing the newcomer, welcoming them, making them feel at home, because we're not going to be able to just do it accidentally. It's going to take intentionality. Um, we started considering about how to have more subgroups, more discipleship groups, community groups, because not everyone will know everyone in the main group, so that we have to have smaller groups. All of these are part of facilitating this transition. So, so you can think of that year as kind of thinking through culture shift. Um, Last year, location shift, right? I mean, and we're here. So obviously that's happened um, because we realized that there were some limitations about our previous location that was going to keep us from being able to make some of that transition. So it's, it's you know, like there's been a lot of work behind the scenes. There are a number of people I know, like I think of Dave Luce or Christian Rourke or others who have just managed so much of this process and I'm very grateful for. And, and so that was really like the major project of last year. This year, uh, we could say it's been kind of an organization shift. So through a number of different factors, um, I, while our church is continuing to grow from about 120 to now we're in the 160s, our, our staff shrunk, so now it's just been, well, not now, but about a year ago, I was the only full-time uh, person. Um, and one thing I'm convinced of is that for us to move forward in the way that I think we need to, where God calls us to, it really needs to be a team. And so one of the really fun things for me this year is seeing this team starting to come together. So things like Dave Luce joining in, being now the, the director of congregational care, Ann Powers, who is, since she's not here, I can speak her praises. She's fantastic. She has been so, I mean, like she brings so much knowledge and competency. And then, of course, with Nick coming in a few months' time, that, that's a, a shift where now we're, there's a team that can kind of be working together to try to move us forward. That's only one piece, right? The, the congregation needs to be a part of this as well, and that's one of the challenges. Because if we're not communicating well, if we're not coordinating well, then not everyone can be on the same page. So that's the other thing that we've been working a lot in. Not just staffing changes, but changes in how we support the congregation. Um, so just some of the efforts that Ann and I have been talking a lot about and trying to work with, like facilitating connectedness. Um, there's a reason that we have a fellowship team now. I don't know if you know that it exists. They're the ones who organize that fantastic um, uh, uh, I, yeah, sorry. I, I stopped myself because I realized I completely blew it on an announcement that I was supposed to make about a half an hour ago that's related to this. It was a fantastic progressive dinner. You also may have noticed, and I was supposed to tell people about this, that there is now a blackboard in uh, like the fellowship area basically saying, hey, we're going to lunch. Does anyone want to join us? So that, you know, whoever wants to sign up and say, hey, this is where we're going and anyone else can kind of join them because we're trying to be more proactive, that also is the fellowship team. We're, we're trying to think through how can we continue to develop relationships because they won't happen just naturally in the same way that they did before. It will take some intentionality. Um, growing in communication intentionality. Um, so thinking through how can we make sure that we're using life at Trinity better. Um, if we as a church are not all rowing in the same direction, we will not be able to do what God calls us to do. And so thinking through how can we, even like today, how can we make sure that we understand where we as a church are going, that everyone feels on the same page. If you are part of a community group, hopefully I have seen you face-to-face -face talking about this because we realize, hey, we need to be more intentional about community, sorry, about communication. 
Um, and then also mobilization, um, especially as newcomers come in, how can we give them clear pathways so they can know, here's how I can serve and participate in this church. And not only that, but for our church to do what we, we would love to see happen, it, it needs more leaders to raise up. So how can we help people grow into leadership and mobilize people in leadership and, and give them the confidence to do that? That's another thing that we're, we're tackling and kind of working on. So that's, that's a, a very quick summary. If you're wondering, hey, it seems like they're zigging and zagging and going all over the place, hopefully this gives you a little of a sense of there is kind of this continuity where we're trying to kind of navigate this transition where God is giving us growth and God is giving us new people who are serving in new ways and we're trying to be able to do this well. So I said it's three and a half years. You might remember that I said by the end of 2020, which means we still have 10 months more in what I've called Project 20. Um, and our goal is that by the end, by, by this fall, we will have made the majority of the transition. Um, Nick Owens will, uh, God willing, be on board and be starting to kind of get his, you know, fingers into what we're trying to do. Um, so in some ways, Project 20 will come to a conclusion at the end of this year. But what I want, hopefully, us to understand by me especially starting where I started is all of that isn't the end goal. All of that is just getting us to the starting line in some ways. That is, the purpose for this is to get us through some of the obstacles so that we can increasingly be a church that can show Christ to the world around us. And so I'll tell you, I'm excited about kind of coming to the other end of this where we can increasingly have conversations where we're thinking about how can we be a church that truly is on mission together? We already are, don't misunderstand me, but couldn't we see that happening even more? I want you just to imagine for a second, because I, I like to dream, so I'd like you to imagine just for a second. I think right now our church, people go, yeah, this is a church that's about the gospel. Yeah, this is a church that really cares about each other. What would it look like if our church, if it was just as true of us that this is a church that is passionately evangelistic? That, that deeply cares to serve the world around us. Can you imagine if that was just as true of us what that would look like? Or, or, or what would it look like if, if, we, if we found ourselves seeing people, not occasionally, but frequently coming to Christ within our midst? And we were able to taste the joy of that and see someone grow in maturity from a, a youth in knowing Christ to, to, to a maturity in Christ and that we would be having the privilege of being a part of that. Um, what would it look like for us as individuals if more and more we saw our lives, every aspect of our lives connected to God's mission so that we felt like we were serving Christ on mission in the way that we worked in our workplaces. And, and we saw our neighborhoods and communities and found ourselves praying and longing to see God at work. What would, what would it look like if that became more of who we are? What, what would it look like if newcomers entered our community and said, something is different here? So this is, this is why I said I, I would love for us to be praying. This coming week, um, I think at 5 a.m. every morning, you will receive an in uh, email in your inbox, um, and all it will have is just a little note and say, hey, could you pray for these things? They'll be around those three themes that I've mentioned, that we could, you know, like gospel, community, mission, those three aspects of what it means to be a beautiful church. And I get really excited about the idea of if each of us, at our own time, in a way that works for us, are praying throughout the week, and then this next Sunday as we come together, we will be praying together, both during the service and also during Sunday school. 
and, and waiting expectantly to see what God might do in and through this church. Because um, he's already done so much. Um, speaking of how God has been at work, I want to transition and hand it over to Tom so he can kind of give us a little bit of an update about how things are going financially. How about we just do that at the end? Yeah. I um, am always <clears throat> a little concerned when I step up here because there's this lead up that comes. <laughs> and um, the sermon today, I, I finally, I think, figured out um, this uh, confusion I have about why you have these expectations. And I realized it's because you're all different. Um, so uh, I want to, uh, be, be, and, and what Jeff just said I think is a great lead off, a great context for um, the budget discussion this year. And I, I want to just kind of step back and give some context before we, we jump into the numbers. Um, and that's, um, first of all, is this kind of three and a half year project that we've been on. And so our budgeting, our, our, our forecasting, our projections, the budget building we've been doing have been on that rolling three-year uh, process. And as we were looking at the plan, one of the things that we anticipated three years ago that we didn't know what it would look like at the time was that we would likely uh, be making some additions in staff um, as we moved along the process. And so uh, we were building our budget to, um, to, to have a sustainable budget. And recognizing that when you hire staff, right, that's, um, that's a jump. You get these discrete jumps up in expenditures. So when you do that, um, you know, giving may be on an upward trend, but um, do you make that staff hire after you've already raised the money, or uh, do you anticipate that you may make the hire a little bit before uh, the giving is sort of hitting that budget? And so in anticipation of that, we've been thinking we want to build a reserve. And so we've been building a reserve uh, sort of on top of our annual um, yearly cycle reserve uh, so that we would, would be able to make these staff, adjust, uh, 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 staff additions even if the giving wasn't quite there yet. But always trying to make sure we had a sustainable budget. So that's one backdrop. And you'll see some numbers here that's kind of like, well, you'll see. Um, we've been successful in that. The second theme here, and, and you know, now for um, a number of years, of course, we had the second site uh, in, in Payless, and the process there has been uh, um, really moving to that there'll be a separate congregation, and now, of course, there's some more uncertainty that's, that's uh, involved into that process. But from our perspective here, it has been this um, expectation that we would be um, moving along a path of separating uh, from Payless, uh, and as we've said the last few years, we've had this budget where we've considered part of our missions budget to be uh, helping um, Payless uh, in order to cover uh, that there's sufficient revenue um, for their expenses, and that was on a, on a uh, tapering down process. And so uh, you'll see that here as well, that, um, and I presented the number so we can kind of see that, that difference, um, but we're continuing that process, and as we, we move off of our giving commitment to Payless, that'll move into our, our sort of general missions budget here. So we kind of see that as, as shifting over. But that's one other theme to keep in mind. So with that backdrop, let me jump into some of the numbers. I want to actually flip over to pay the, they're kind of blocks, right? But I want to go to the, the next page here where it says 2019 budget versus actual. I just want to let you know where the year turned out. And so in this process of, um, 
looking at Payless and Hinsdale as separate, we have broken out our finances and we track them separately. Uh, and and uh, so I just want to highlight here the, on, the, on the Hinsdale side. Uh, our budget for 2019 was just under $330,000. Um, and you'll see we came in <laughs> shockingly close. Um, within, you know, within $1,000, $1,500. So uh, expenditures were right on budget. We um, continue to track that very well. Of course, most of our budget is a fixed number, right? It's mostly comprised of salaries and rent and things that don't move. So it's, you know, it'd probably be shocking if we were far off, but again, we're very close. Then the next line is on giving. And so uh, this year we had budgeted, in, in, in sort of building our projections, we had budgeted $400,000 as the giving number. Um, and um, Jeff's looking at me because he's wondering if I'm going to tell the story or not. Uh, at the end of last year as we were building the budget, he and I had a bit of a debate about if we should make that number uh, 400. Um, last year's giving to come in at 385, and not to bore you with all the dynamics, but that was coming after the 2017 tax changes. We didn't know if we had this you know, big uh, influx of money, and so we weren't sure if we were going to stay on trend and what to expect. And so one of us wanted to be more conservative and not forecast too big of a giving. And so I said, I think 385 is a good number. And Jeff's like, but I think we need a stretch. I think we can do 400. So I said, okay, you're the man, 400. <laughs> so uh, at the end of this year when our, our giving number came in and we hit 453, I immediately received an email from Jeff, which kindly included the entire email chain from a year ago. Um, and he said, I know, in fact, in that email string, it even said, Jeff said, you know, I, I don't have access to all the data that you have. I'm not an economist, so I'm not sure if I'm as good at forecasting as you are, but. But I pointed out that we were both almost equally as off, so. Um, but anyway, what I do want to say is, and, and you'll know that if you remember through the course of the year, I kept saying something's different this year because usually we're drawing down that reserve as we go through the year, but we were tracking, giving was tracking with expenses month over month, and that was phenomenal. Uh, and, I, and I was just and talking to the session and budgeting, I was cautious because I said, I don't know what's going to happen when we get to year end. We normally get this big pop at year end. I don't know because we haven't, we haven't seen that uh, drawdown. Uh, we got that pop at year end again. So just phenomenal, uh, the kind of giving. And, and it's, it's um, I don't know what to say. It's, it's really just, I think it's a sign of the growth that's happening in the church. Um, and, and certainly our numbers are up and giving is up. Uh, but, um, you know, just, just a, a real word of thanksgiving there. So uh, phenomenal giving this year. And, um, you know, again, I... I'm always cautious about uh, if things will repeat, but um, that, that was a phenomenal year. And what, what does that mean for the net? Well, we had, we had budgeted, we had expected in our budget that we'd, we'd, um, uh, our giving would exceed expenditures by $70,000. And uh, then if you jump down to the Payless side, I'm just gonna sort of jump ahead, you'll see that the, in the Payless budget, we had anticipated a negative $43,000. So uh, we had committed to uh, forty dollars or $41,000 to Payless last year in the budget. Uh, so part of that 70, of course, would be um, going to pay less, so we'd sort of net 30. And that was in our plan of, okay, that's, that's kind of what we're building down our reserve so that we were able to uh, potentially hire new staff. Um, we came in, of course, not at 70 over, but almost 125,000 over. Uh, just a phenomenal, uh, a phenomenal year. Just a quick word on pay less. We don't do a lot on the numbers for pay less, but um, 
just to uh, to show that uh, there were very some very promising signs there this year. Um, again, their budget was right on track, a little bit under, uh, actually almost five thousand dollars under budget. Giving was pretty solid, um, uh, almost at budget. And the one thing to keep in mind there is uh, we Payless had a very aggressive uh, giving goal. They that was uh, 2019 was a 25% year-over-year gain from 2018, so that was a pretty big pop. Uh, and they, I mean, I think the, you know, they were then within uh, uh, very close to that. And then on net, of course, about $40,000 off. So that's that's where that um, uh, what that means is you take 125 minus about 40, um, 85,000. So we added 85,000 to our um, our uh, reserve. And so if you flip back now to page one, you can kind of see where things line up. You see we started 2019 with 108,000 in reserves. And that's not, that's not a, that's sort of kind of our baseline. That's where we often start because um, we typically get this lot of year-end giving. And then over the course of the year, that draws down, um, except last year. Uh, so 100,000, 100, sort of, that's, that's kind of like where we'd like to start the year so that we can make it through the year with, with cash. Um, and we thought we'd expand that by a little bit. Of course, now our, 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 uh, we're starting this year at 193,000. Um, and uh, so it's, it's really phenomenal. All right, let me jump now to the, the budget for the coming year. Uh, that's the last block here. And you can see... Um, what we have is the 29 expenditures by category and then the 2020 budget numbers. Uh, you can see, of course, there's a pretty big jump in our budget going from, um, and I, I've broken this out with and without the pay list contribution. Um, so here just at, at, at Trinity, going from 328 to 435. That's driven largely by, of course, adding staff um, uh, with Nick coming on board. Um, the with. Brent leaving and Anne coming, so you know there's a bit of a flux there. And then also um, uh, there was an increase in compensation for Jeff. Jeff had been um, classic Jeff. Uh, he always says, "We always say, okay, where are we at? Um, how are things?" And he's like, "You know, we're good. Everything's fine. I don't need a raise." And so there's many years when Jeff doesn't get a raise, and we've decided that we have to stop that. So um, Jeff does get an increase in compensation this year. As well, and we we did some um, benchmarking just to try to see where we stand relative to others. Um, it's not the easiest exercise, but I, I, we were pretty comfortable in um, that that we did need to um, we needed to get him a little closer to uh, to a market rate. So that's one big bump. Rent here um, is it's really not a change; it's not an increase in rent. Um, there's some offsets over the course of the year that that uh, is why 2019 came in about 45. Um, but we're, uh, so rent is, is uh, 48. The other things are largely in line with the previous year. You see that the missions budget is at 20 and the pay list contribution is 30. So that, uh, that you can see that drop off going from 40 to 30. Um, but again, the combined missions number is about 50. So our expectation is that we will shift uh, to um, a 50 for total missions uh, as pay list de declines. Uh, the rest of the numbers are pretty much in line. Um, publicity was a little bit higher this past year than the budget, and that was mostly around the Exploring God. We did the Exploring God series at the beginning of last year, and so we had done some marketing around that. Um, so uh, the last thought here is where do we stand on a sustainable budget? Uh, you'll see again that giving last year is at 453 uh, this past year. Um, if that stays constant, uh, then our expenditures, our planned expenditures, are right in line with that. So 435 on the uh, 
total for Hinsdale only, 465 when you include Payless. So, um, you know, if even there's modest growth, we won't even draw any of that. We won't even draw on any of that reserve. Uh, now, mindful, of course, that in 2021, um, we'll have the pastoral outreach will go from roughly half, well, seven twelfths of a year to 12 twelfths. So there'll be another little bit of a jump there. Um, but at this point, uh, even at level giving, um, we're, in a, we're in a pretty sustainable spot. Three minutes left. Any questions? <laughs> any questions for anything either? With anything that we covered? Any, any questions about a church or budget or stuff like that? Yeah, so worship encompasses a number of things that happen, you know, here on the Sunday morning. So it's going to cover uh, musician expenses, musician equipment expenses. It would capture, uh, we had, you know, purchased, if we purchased new sound equipment and that kind of thing, so it captures that. Uh, communion wine, uh, pulpit supply. So this past year we had some expenses because of um, the sabbatical. Um, this year it's a little bit, it shows an increase here, and that's a little bit of a, uh, it results a little bit from the fact that we build the budget in a way that's uh, slightly not in line with the way the, the numbers are tracked. So uh, part of the what's showing up here is an increase in musician cost because um, with Brent leaving and, and filling in for him. So uh, it shows up as a little bit of an increase on the worship, but that's um, it, it's sort of between staff and um, uh, worship kind of comprises that. So that's the main, the main items in worship. And if we do anything, you know, if we do anything else with the space, we haven't really added anything here. But if we were, that would be in that. Oh, why is that gone up? Yeah, good question. Thank you. I, I had started that. So, adult and children's ministry number uh, shows an increase. Um, one, uh, it, it, there is a modest increase there. It's not as big as what looks here. One of the reasons is is we were under budget uh, this year. The 3,500 was below budget. I think the budget was like 5,000, five or 6,000. 6, so this year it came in lower. Uh, we did increase it because we budgeted some money uh, to enable us to hire a nursery helper on Sunday mornings. We, that hasn't happened right, to date, that um, but that's, that's where that uh, increase is coming, so we budgeted some money for that. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the $20,000 was something that we had been kind of targeting, like we had, like when we were talking to the mission. So some of this is, sorry. It was lower than 20 last year. Yeah, so it was supposed to be in 2019-10, um, and then we realized part of the way through the year, hey, we actually are going to be in better shape, so let's kind of raise that with the goal of, tw you know, of 2020 having $20,000. And when those targets were set, that was actually before we saw what came in at the end of this year. So I think the goal, um, again, you should understand the worship is basically that's largely covering the costs of musicians who are stepping in for Brent. Those were kind of unavoidable co uh, costs. But I think what we've been talking about was the hope of maybe even a few months in 
as we're, you know, as we're seeing what's coming in, we'd like to be able to raise the emissions budget up for the very same reason that you're saying, that as we're able to kind of, another piece of this is we were still not sure even what the payless number was gonna be. We looked at a couple different numbers, whether it's 42 or 30. So all my point is there is an influxness and there's an awareness of this and a desire that if we can to maybe increase give, giving to missions even part of the way through this year. Tira. Mm-hmm. Well, and so a couple things. We know that there will at least be some of that 30,000 will be drawn down because uh, for the first three months, they're going to be operating at normal budget. Um, the question of what to do with that if they don't need that, yeah, we haven't, we haven't discussed that much. Uh, that's something that we could kind of talk about. Yeah, it would, it would just kind of go into the missions bucket. Yeah. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, that has definitely been part of our conversation even the last few months. Um, I think the, uh, what, what I would say is I think there's an openness amongst the elders if there is a clear, not just kind of, hey, we just need more money, we don't have a plan. But if there is a clear sense of this would be the pathway to kind of get us where we want to, I think we would definitely entertain that conversation, whether we would have the means to do that or not, I'm not sure. But yeah, the, that number, that's the 30, that's again the estimate. But there's an awareness that we might tweak it either direction, depending on how things happen. Any other questions? All right, how about I close this in prayer? Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for your provision for us. Uh, Lord, even as we think of, of the conversation we've just had, we realize that, that we are stewards of what you have given us. And so, Lord, we want to be faithful with it. You have, you have shown your generosity towards us for a reason. And, Lord, we want, um, we, we want to be faithful. So I pray that you would give us wisdom and direction and help us uh, to steward this well for the glory of your name. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.